Good morning, guys. Well, it was one of the scariest moments of my life, and there's only been a few occasions in my life where I wasn't just feeling anxious or uh, nervous or afraid. I was truly terrified. My son, McCray was maybe six months old, and I was in the other room And my sweet wife, because she serves our family so well, was not only holding and taking care of McCray, but she was also carrying a basket of laundry down the stairs. And we have a really old house, if you've seen it, and the stairway is unusually steep and treacherous. And so at about the fifth or sixth stair up uh, from the ground, Alex slipped backwards and catapulted little McCray forwards who fell maybe 12 or 15 feet directly on his head on the hardwood floor. Picture his head kind of snapping back and his feet scorping that way. And after just the dullest thud, our little McCray folded into a motionless pile on the floor. And the tone in which Alex screamed for me, I never want to hear it again. She's just screaming, I dropped McCray, I dropped McCray, call 911. And I look down and our normally wiggly baby is stiff as a board and his eyes are just saying, help me. And that's when I got really scared. So I call 911 and they say, lay him on the table, stabilize his neck and keep him awake. And so we, we did that and he's screaming but he's not moving at all and then as soon as we lay him down he just falls asleep and so I run over to the freezer and I grab a bunch of ice cubes and I start putting it on his face to try to keep him awake and then Alex and I just prayed the most fervent prayers that we have ever prayed as we waited for what seemed like an eternity until paramedics arrived when was the last time you were truly terrified have you yet been acquainted with great fear not just fear truly terrified you see the passage we're in today shows us what happens when jesus followers become truly terrified and we're going to see how christ creates calm in the chaos. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. You're going to need a Bible, so use it at Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your phone, Mark chapter 4. And if you've been riding with us the last few weeks, we've we've just studied four parables in Mark chapter 4, and now he's going to back up those four parables with four miracles. Today we're going to see how Jesus is sovereign over nature. Next week we'll see how Jesus is sovereign over demons And then we're going to see how Jesus is sovereign over sickness and death. But I just want you to see, nothing about the book of Mark is random. Everything is neatly and intentionally arranged so that the words of Jesus are authorized or backed up by the works of Jesus. So if you're not sure if you believe or care what Jesus has said the last few weeks, I'm so glad you're here. Watch this. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Guys, heaven and earth will pass away, but these words right here, these things are going to last forever. Amen? Come on, amen? 
Let's dig. Verse 35. Come, Spirit. Use your word now. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And after leaving the crowd, they took with him in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. Okay, so feel the scene. Jesus has been preaching all day, and if you remember back at the beginning of Mark 4, it said that the crowd was getting so huge that he actually had to move and begin teaching from a boat lest the crowd crush him. So he's been preaching in a boat all day. The sun is now setting. Jesus is still in the boat, and he says to his disciples, and apparently some boats anchored around him, all right, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Now it's about a five-mile trip. We know Uh, to where Jesus is going so they set sail and now it's the dead of night verse 37 and a great windstorm arose first I want you just to feel the chaos here Mark's literal language here in, in verse 37 is a mega fierce storm Matthew uses the word seismus the word they use to describe hurricanes we use seismic right This is a massive storm. The Sea of Galilee is relatively shallow, but it's surrounded by really high mountains, making it kind of like a shallow basin, a shallow bowl. And so when the winds enter in through the clefts in the mountains, sudden hurricane force storms often occur without warning. So don't think of a hard rain here. Don't think of just, you know, kind of a violent storm. Think middle of the night, tiny fishing boat, category five hurricane and remember guys the people with jesus are seasoned sailors right they're they're very familiar with sudden storms but apparently this one is different look at it verse 37 verse 37 and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling Mark adds that little timing detail, already filling, to tell us that the, uh, the boat is immediately sinking. Like right away, it's taking water. So today we're going to talk about storms, not just in the natural sense. We're going to talk about it in the spiritual sense. And that's actually not a result of kind of therapeutic, bubblegum, me-focused Christianity. You know, Jesus is going to calm the storm in your life. That's actually good theology. In the Old Testament, storms represent distress, fear, suffering, uncertainty, anxiety. And so while you and I may never get caught in a natural storm like Mark 4, we do live in spiritual storms every single week. Have you been distressed this week? That's a storm. Have you, um, is, is something causing you to feel afraid or unsure? That's a storm. Are you experiencing some kind of hardship or even like legit suffering? That's a storm. You are weathering storms. And the first thing to note in Mark 4 is we want to see when do storms occur? We see it in the text. It's, it's actually pretty obvious. If we look at verse 35, we see that storms occur unexpectedly. Maybe we read past that. But verse 35, if the weather was getting gnarly, these seasoned sailors would not have gotten into the boat, right? Verse 35 implies it's just a cool, calm evening and the storm comes out of nowhere. And isn't that true, guys, for the storms we experience? 
We don't plan on it. We, we just kind of wake up one day and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, lose your job. Or you get dumped. Or a loved one passes away. Or the dark clouds of depression just return for no reason. You don't even know why you're feeling down. Hardships and difficulties occur unexpected. And in verse 35 and 36, we see that storms occur when you're tired. Did you see that? It's nighttime. They've been out all day. Jesus is sleeping. The boys in the boat have had a long day. They're tired, and then the storm hits. Isn't that true for us? The hard things in life, they never come when you're well-rested and you're energized and you're ready for it, right? No, they always seem to come. Stuff hits the fan when you're already running on fumes. Storm weather is when you're not expecting it, when you're probably running on fumes. And verse 37, we see storms occur all at once. First, the wind's blowing. Then the waves are breaking. Now the boat is filling up. Even our unbelieving culture has taken note of this. They say trouble comes in threes, right? When it rains, finish it for me. When it rains, it pours. We know that storms just seem to come all at once. And here's the thing. When life gets hard, when you're facing something that makes you fearful or uncertain, we all tend to believe the same lies. The first lie you and I tend to believe is that being in the storm is evidence that God is mad at me. That's the first lie we tend to believe. If God loved me, he would clearly not take me through this. So did I do something wrong? Am I being punished? Is this because I've been disobedient? If that's your go-to lie when you're going through hard things, you have to see this in Mark chapter 4. Guys, the boys in the boat, they're in the storm not because of their disobedience, but precisely because of their obedience. They're in the storm because Jesus said, hey, let's go over to the other side. That's what put them in the storm. Their obedience put them there. So if you're a Christian and, and there's something hard going on in your life right now, it's not because you've been disobedient, it's because you've been obedient. And God has sovereignly ordained Acts 14.22, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So when you're in the storm, you're not being punished by God. Christ received all of your punishment on the cross. On the contrary, Hebrews 12.7 says, endure hardship as discipline. It's God treating you as his child. The boys are in the boat precisely because Jesus chose them and you, loved one, are in the storm precisely because God set his love upon you and your storm is evidence of it. The second lie you and I believe in the storm is this, that God is oblivious. See that in verse 38. Verse 38. But he, that's Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, we know that they aren't waking him up because they expect him to silence the storm. We know that because of how stunned they are when he does that. So why are they waking him up in verse 38? Guys, because they want him to grab a bucket and help. 
That's why they're like, hey, we're taking water. Our rabbi's over there sleeping, completely oblivious to what's going on. Jesus, wake up. Help us. We're dying. Grab a bucket. Doesn't it feel sometimes like Jesus is oblivious to the real sufferings of real life? I know he's concerned with my salvation. I know he's concerned with my soul. But when it comes to the car repair that I have to, don't have money for, when it comes to that comment that person just made that stung deeply, when it comes to the conflict with that person and you don't know how to resolve it, it just feels like Jesus isn't all that concerned or at least like he isn't all that helpful with that kind of stuff. Sure, he'll give you a, a, a Bible, but right now you're just, you just need a bucket. When life gets hard, we all tend to believe, one, God is mad at me. Two, God is oblivious. He's just either unconcerned or just unhelpful. And the third lie and the worst lie we believe is, number three, God doesn't care. Did you see that in verse 38? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now set aside the obvious fact that the eternal Son of God, Jesus, has left satisfied communion with the Father, become human precisely because of how much he cares for the boys in the boat. He has literally left heaven for them. But storms are disorienting, aren't they? And suffering just stretches our sense that Jesus cares for us. My mom, who's actually with this Jesus this morning, um, was an alcoholic and a drug addict, um, which made most of my childhood feel like one never-ending storm. And though I don't think I was saved at this age as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, I ended every day praying the same prayer. Lord, take my mom's addiction away. You guys, I prayed that prayer for 15 years. Over 15 years. Side note, eventually God answered those prayers, not by taking it away from her, but taking her away from it and bringing her safely and sober into his heavenly kingdom. Praise God. That's so much more than I was asking for. But the point is, the prayer that has come off my lips more than any other prayer is, don't you care? Don't you hear me? Why won't you answer me? Why, why not just wake up and do something about this? You prayed that prayer. It's interesting, the temple liturgy of Jesus' day would often recite Psalm 44, 23. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not cast us off forever. We're going to see how Mark 4 is going to be God's answer to that psalm. But first, just see this, you guys. How different would this situation have been? How different would the disciples be acting if they had simply taken Jesus at his word? We often read over it, but look back up to the promise, verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus says, come with me. We're going to cross over to the other side. Guys, that's a promise. Jesus just said it. We're going over. And the reason that they are now frantically freaking out and grabbing buckets is because they believe that this current storm supersedes what Jesus told me. And that brings us to our first point. Christ brings calm 
to our chaos through his promises. If you're walking through something scary, if you're not right now, just wait. (laughs) Be in the next couple weeks. Or chaotic or uncertain, Christ will bring calm to your chaos as you, by grace, cling to his promises. Confession, y'all, I've been frightened and frenetic about how in the world our little church is going to pay for that huge new church building. It is keeping me up at night. I mean, as soon as the, as the heating bills get transferred over to us, boom, temp drops, negative 14, foreseeable future, like, come on, right? How are we going to pay just for the heat, let alone the rest of it? But you guys, as my heart has just been chaotic, Jesus continues to call me with Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, how many needs? Every need, including the heat. Praise God. God didn't miraculously give us a building to get evicted, amen? He's going to provide what we need when we need it, for sure, not a minute before we need it. Trust his promise. By grace, grip the promises of God and he will calm your chaos. If you have a loved one who isn't saved, we all have one. I hope you're clinging to Isaiah 59.1. The Lord's hand is not too short to save. Take that to the bank and keep praying. If you've fallen again in that all too familiar sin, that one that's been dogging you for years, I hope you're clinging to by grace, Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, Paul says. What are you sure of, Paul? That he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. Don't count me out yet. God ain't done with me yet. I'm sure of it, Paul says. Guys, this is why we read our Bibles, not to be good Christians, Again, goodness was imputed to you on the cross. We read our Bibles. We wake up early because we are on the hunt for holy promises that are going to calm our storm that day. Christ will bring calm to your chaos as you cling to his promises and don't let them go. How different would the story have been if they would just be like, Jesus said we're crossing the sea. I'm going to go take a nap next to him. Verse 38, what happens though when we don't cling to the promise? When we think the current storm supersedes what Jesus said. Verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Vertical church, I want you now to see the Christ. We just saw the chaos. Now see the Christ. The wind is howling Waves are sinking the ship. Sailors are screaming at one another, grabbing buckets, desperately fighting against the water, and Jesus is sleeping. First, Jesus' sleeping reveals his humanity. Psalm 121 tells us that God does not sleep nor slumber. So Jesus here is doing something that only humans can do. See him, church. Jesus is fully God and fully asleep. That means he's truly God and truly human. Second, Jesus' sleeping reveals 
perfect faith. In the Old Testament, there's a, a frequent link between sleeping and trusting in God. As King David, who is the foreshadow of Jesus, flees for his life as his own son hunts him down in Psalm 3, he writes Psalm 3, 5, I will lie down and sleep, and I will wake again because the Lord sustains me. In a greater way, Jesus sleeping in the middle of the night on a fishing boat through an actual hurricane reveals that he knew the Lord would sustain him no matter what. And so he slept. If you're tossing and turning, like I was last week, thinking about how we're going to pay for the heat, cast your cares onto the Lord, then trust God and go to sleep. Sleep is the physical act of being spiritually settled before God. Just put your head on that pillow and let God do his thing. Also, I want you to see this. Jesus isn't just sleeping. Notice the detail in verse 38. He's sleeping on what? What do you guys see? Come on, nice and loud. On a cushion. Why does Mark put in that detail? It's utterly superfluous. The point is Jesus is sleeping. Why does it matter if he's on a cushion? Listen, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. One of the ways one can differentiate between myth and eyewitness account is that eyewitness accounts will have details that don't contribute to the overall plot. You might say, yeah, I almost got hit by a car this morning. The guy was driving. He had a beard. I don't think he really saw me. What does the beard have anything to do with him almost hitting you? Nothing. It's just what you saw, right? Remember, Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. Mark wasn't on the boat. Mark was a disciple of Peter. And the gospel, that's why the gospel of Mark has often been referred to as the gospel of Peter. Because Mark is sitting there with Peter, writing everything down as Peter remembers it. So this is Peter, several years later, just saying, yeah, I went down to the stern, and there Jesus was, just on a cushion, sound asleep. Guys, I just want you to feel that. Verse 38 is a real account of the real Jesus sleeping on a real pillow, in the middle of a hurricane. Okay, now the best part, verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. See him now silence the storm. How do you guys think he said that? Do you think Jesus woke up? Do you think he stood up and shouted, Peace, be still? Or do you think he just kind of woke up and smiled and said, be still. We don't know how he said it. We just know that he woke up and it listened to him. This was actually the second time the wind and waves heard Jesus' voice. First at creation, we just sang it, when, when John 1 says Jesus spoke them into existence, and now in Mark 4, they hear their creator's voice again say, hush, and they hush. And look what happens, verse 39. And the winds ceased, and there was a great calm. Again, Mark is just stretching the language. Here it's, it's mega calm again. So Mark starts with saying, this was a mega fierce storm in verse 37. Jesus utters his voice and it becomes 
mega calm. Vertical Church, just see the calm now. Christ brings calm to our chaos through his power. Through his power. My wife is an amazing mother, and one of the things that's amazing about her is I think all women, or at least all mothers, have this superpower. She can literally hear children calling from like miles away. Like we'll be outside shoveling. There's a snowblower on and she's like, I hear one of our children. Someone's thirsty, right? And she just like goes inside. It's amazing. And it's amazing because, guys, it's a glimpse of Christ. The wind is blowing. He doesn't hear it. The waves are crashing. doesn't hear it. The sailors are screaming. doesn't wake them up. And yet as soon as they call out to him, he's up. And he bends all of the power in the natural world to protect them. If you, if you are in a storm, if you're walking through something hard, call out to him in prayer and he will be up in a second, working all things good, all things according to your good. Isaiah 64 says, even while you're speaking, he will hear. In a second, Christ brings calm to our chaos through his power taken hold of in prayer. Back to the McRae story. The paramedics arrived. They examined him and nonchalantly said, looks fine to me. And so we brought him to the hospital and they did all the scans and you guys, there wasn't a bruise. What happened there? If you had been there, I just refuse to believe anything other than this Christ heard our prayers as McCray was stretched out on the table. We learned later, catch this, like only a few weeks later, that McCray had a blood condition that put him at a high risk of brain bleeds. And so the doctor said, if, if he even like taps a corner, goes straight to the ER. And we're like, Alex and I looked at each other, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Christ hears prayer. And Christ bends all the power in the universe to work all things for your good. Just take hold of that power. Luke 18, 8 says, he will not delay in helping them. He will act swiftly. Praise God. So here the winds just die. And this is interesting because if, if you're in the middle of a hurricane and the wind stops, well, especially in a shallow sea, the waves are going to still be crashing. No, the waves just sit. Boom. No rocking. Nothing. Great calm. Verse 40. Now a second storm occurs. I think this should be called the, the, Jesus calms two storms. Here's the second one. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Notice the answer to Jesus' first question is implied by his second. Apparently they were afraid because they didn't have faith, which begs the question, faith in what? Better yet, faith in whom? You see, guys, Jesus is implying that if we have faith in him, we won't be afraid. 
Point three, Christ brings calm to our chaos through his presence. Through his presence. Contrary to Christian pop culture, the point of Mark 4 is not that Jesus will always still every storm. He won't. Sometimes he allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes he allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He will let the storm keep going because he loves what he's doing in and through it. So the point of this story is not that God will silence your storms. Guys, the point is God is in your boat. That's the point. There's two storms in Mark 4. Jesus silences the one at the sea, but there's a greater one, and it's in the souls of the boys in the boat. Look at it in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. Again, mega fear. And said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, it wasn't like, oh, I was going through something hard and Jesus calmed my storm. He took the wheel and now I'm just calm. He do- it doesn't say that at all. Guys, the boys are more scared after the storm is silenced than during it. Why are they so scared? Because they knew the scriptures. They knew Psalm 89.9, which says, the Lord rules the raging sea and when it rises, the Lord stills them. They, they knew Psalm 107.28, which says, when they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them from their stress. He makes the storm be still and the waves of the sea hush. So there on that calm, silent sea, it wasn't just Jesus who was sleeping and just woke up. Once Jesus hushed a hurricane, it's the disciples who were sleeping and wake up and say, oh my gosh, God is in my boat. And that's why they are filled with great fear. It's utterly terrifying to them. You might say, well, Chris, I thought you said that Christ's presence brings us calm, not great fear. Yes, Vertical Church, we have the privilege of seeing Christ's power, not through the lens the boys in the boat saw it. They were looking through the Old Testament lens, which led them to say what Manoah said, Judges 13, 22, we will surely die for we have seen God. And Isaiah say in Isaiah 6, 5, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips for I have seen the Lord. Or Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1, 28, he literally fell on his face as though a dead man. Or Daniel in Daniel 10, 9, literally passes out in fear. That's their lens for seeing God in their boat. But we get to see God's power and his presence through the cross. Vertical Church, see the cross this morning. Our passage today is actually the fulfillment of the book of Jonah. We know that because Jesus calls himself the true Jonah in Matthew 12, 40. And if you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah's on a boat with some sailors and there's a great windstorm and everyone starts freaking out and begin throwing cargo overboard. And while that is happening, do you remember what Jonah's doing? He's sleeping down in the inner part of the boat. And the captain comes to him and says, wake up, do something, pray to your God to make him stop the storm. 
And if you remember the story, they end up throwing Jonah overboard to silence the storm. You see, you guys, Jesus is the true Jonah who was consumed by the sea of God's wrath so that we could be saved. The only storm we really need to fear is the storm of God's justice and wrath and Jesus silenced that storm by being thrown overboard and dying on the cross on your behalf. So if he will silence that storm, do you think you can trust him with any storm you face this week? Point four, God brings calm to our chaos through his past work through the cross. I don't know what you're walking through this week, but if Jesus silenced the storm of God's wrath on the cross, then you can sleep like a baby through whatever storm he leads you through this week. This is the logic of Romans 8. Just hear Romans 8 again. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who's at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here comes the storms. Shall tribulation Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure that neither, here's some more storms, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Vertical Church, one thing is certain this week. There will be some storms. And there will be a Christ who is real and ready to create calm in the chaos as you cling to his promises, as you call on infinite power through prayer, as you awake to the reality that, oh my gosh, God is in the boat. More than that, Christ is in my heart. And as you look to his power and his presence through the cross, if we do that, we will sing with John Newton, Be gone, unbelief, my Savior is near. And for my relief, he will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. Let's pray.